everything changes, so we better become really good at changing ourselves or dealing with change. If your mind is not flexible or adaptable, then it's going to deposit somewhere in your body. You hold some tension because of the stressful situations. I wish I'd known that I don't have to do a lot of things to please other people. I've been thinking a lot about mindfulness recently and what this word actually means in the workplace. One definition is that mindfulness means being awake and aware and attending to ourselves and the world around us. The best way I can think of attending to myself is through practicing yoga, and my trusty yoga mat goes with me every time I travel for work. But when I'm in Johannesburg, I practice at the Yoga Republic, and one of my favorite vinyasa flow classes is presented by Stephen Heyman, who's not only a yoga teacher, but also a mindfulness practitioner. I'm very pleased to welcome Stephen in the studio today to talk about yoga, mindfulness, and working towards building well-being and being happier. Have you ever gone through change in your personal life or at work and thought to yourself, there must be a better way to do this? Welcome to On Change, the podcast that explores change that works and the people who make it happen. And now from Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Pietro Dupisani. Welcome to the studio, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Just tell me more about yourself. Where did you grow up? What was your family like? I'm from Belgium originally, and I grew up in a little town at the coast in Belgium. Our coastline is about 60 kilometers, and I was on the side that borders France. I'm from the Flemish part in Belgium, so my home language is Flemish. It's close to Dutch, you could say, or Afrikaans. And I have a brother and a sister and two amazing parents. And I was really lucky to grow up close to the beach and spending a lot of time outdoors. But also remember as a little boy, I was very keen into reading a lot of books. Every week, my dad had to go back to the library and get me five new books. And then I would devour those and then he would have to get five more the next week. So that's one of the memories. Often my parents had to encourage me to go a little bit more outside or to do something a little bit more active because I was buried in a book. And then as I got a little bit older, maybe say 14 or something, I joined a basketball club and I started doing that a lot. Almost every day I was practicing on the court and I was in a team playing and doing matches and tournaments. And around the same time, actually a little bit earlier, I started going on summer camps as well, which is really one of my favorite activities. We have this long summer holiday in July and August, and I always used to spend multiple weeks in the mountains or outdoors or camping with the whole group of friends. And then later on, I became an instructor or sort of a leader for the summer camps. I did a course to become a guide in the mountains, in the Alps. So I learned how to guide groups and read maps and read the weather patterns and tell stories about plants and animals and rock formations. That was really an amazing experience. So did you have any sort of exposure to yoga or anything like that when you were growing up? Nothing at all. 
No. And actually, I'm still not very successful in getting my family to start yoga. So what did you study and when did you discover yoga? It was actually much later on, not close to when I studied yet. I wish, I guess. But I studied commercial engineering. It's a mix of masters in economics. It was a five-year studies in the University of Antwerp and mixed with a little bit of basic knowledge about chemistry and physics and biology. And the idea was to understand the business world, to form the, the bridge between the economics and the feasibility of projects and the more technical aspects so that you could speak to, say, a civil engineer, but also know about the marketing and the feasibility of this project. So I studied this for five years, and part of the five years I did an exchange program where I moved to Lisbon for half a year, and then I guess some Portuguese students went to Antwerp instead. And I remember choosing Portugal because actually nobody had been there in a long time and I had not studied other languages and this was one of the options. I thought, this sounds cool. I'll go there. And I couldn't speak a word of Portuguese actually. And they had promised me that all the courses were available in English so I shouldn't worry about anything. But of course, when I arrived there, the, all the courses were in Portuguese only. <laughs> so I had to learn Portuguese really fast. I did a crash course in about a month and I practiced every day staying with a Portuguese family and yes, it was a really good experience. Oh, that's cool. I also had to learn a bit of Portuguese when I was working in Brazil. And so how did you then go from that, being in sort of engineering students in Belgium and Portugal, to being a yoga instructor in Johannesburg? The first, I was always really interested in traveling and expanding my horizon, let's say. And I thought the best way to expand my horizon was through traveling and not just little trips and then you come back and settle back into normal life. I wanted to explore a little bit more. And one of the options I had chosen in my studies was international management. And I then set off looking for a job that allowed me to move abroad, maybe not immediately, but after a while and to travel a lot. And I found this job, an international training company based in Antwerp. And I first worked for about a year in the head office in Antwerp to be trained in the logistics and the trading and the economical aspects. And after that year, I said, okay, I'm ready. Please send me somewhere. And they said, which country are you interested in? I said, Brazil, immediately Brazil, because I spoke Portuguese and I'm just really keen. And they said, sorry, we don't need anybody there, but we're looking for uh, somebody in the Africa department. And I said, okay, no problem. And they said, would you like to go to Nigeria to live in Lagos for a couple of years? And I said, yes, this is no problem. I'll go there. So I moved to Nigeria in, I think it was 2003 to 2006, about two and a half years. I lived there. I started a new business. I visited the port. I traveled all around Nigeria and I was 24, I think. So I didn't know anything about anything. I thought I did, but I didn't. <laughs> and then, of course, Nigeria is not the easiest country to live in. It is a rather uh, busy and challenging place. And after a while, I thought, this is really not easy. I would like something a little bit where I have a bit more freedom, let's say, to explore by myself and to go out whenever I want to. And I came on a holiday to South Africa to Cape Town, the Garden Route, all beautiful places here. And now I thought, wow, this is amazing. This is also Africa, actually. I had no idea. I thought the whole of Africa is maybe more like Lagos. <laughs> but luckily, it is not. And then I asked to be transferred to Johannesburg. And the answer was yes. They needed somebody to take over the local office in Joburg. 
and then I moved here and I've never left. This is 12 years ago now. But something happened because you're not with that company anymore. No, exactly. So, so what happened? <laughs> Actually, the main thing that happened is I, I met my current wife after just one year in South Africa. I met her and she was already doing yoga for quite a few years by then. And I was more into mountain biking, running, going to the gym or often long periods of not exercising, I guess, because I was traveling a lot and it's hard to keep some kind of routine. And she started to introduce me to yoga, suggesting that I join her for a class. And first I was like, no, absolutely not. This is ridiculous. <laughs> this is not a real sport or proper activity. <laughs> I'm not coming. <laughs> and then basically she dragged me to a yoga class, kicking and screaming. And I still didn't like it at all. <laughs> I thought it was horrible. Because I guess it was horrible because I was so tight in my body and maybe resistant also just to the idea of doing yoga. And I didn't identify with that kind of activity at all. So, and so when did you know, or when did it shift? When did you know that this was how you were going to spend the rest of your life, doing well, this type of work? Actually, I still don't know if this is how <laughs> I would spend the rest of my life. I just tried to do one day at a time. Yes. But what really changed this was our trip to India. We traveled to India, I think about eight years ago. And we stayed for quite a long time. I think it was six weeks. And we traveled all the way sort of from the center of India down to the south and stayed in little villages and ashrams and participated all the, it was a lot of sitting and meditation and waking up early in the morning and chanting and karma yoga where you provide a selfless service, you help out in the center and a lot of yoga, like about four or five hours a day. And I remember feeling almost like I had played a rugby game. It was really sore and my body felt really worked in all kinds of ways. But at the same time, I started feeling, okay, I actually need this. This is really a good thing for me, especially since you can do yoga whenever you travel or you sit at your desk, you can do a little stretch or a deeper breath. And I started to then continue the yoga practice and using it whenever I went on my business trips and activities. So at this point, you're still working for the logistics company. Yes. So, but at some point you left them and what mm. made you leave? I guess I had a few really tough years. I became the managing director in the end of the local office and it grew and grew and our turnover was close to a billion rand, I think, when I left. And we had about 50 people reporting to me in the end in some way in three different offices. And at the same time, I was responsible for the whole Southern Africa region, not just the SADC countries, but all the way to DRC, Kenya and Uganda. So I traveled a lot and visited all those places and managed all those locations and people and managers. And I was having a tough time because a lot of things were, I guess, out of my control. And I was also doing more and more of the things I didn't really enjoy. I enjoyed the traveling and the social aspect and developing new projects and business. But I didn't enjoy meeting with lawyers and banks and dealing with HR issues, which is, of course, part of the managing director's job. And then the last straw I remember that broke the camel's back, so to speak, was we had an office in Roisbank and a warehouse in Boxburg. And the head office had decided we had to move the office to join with the warehouse in Boxburg. I lived really close to the office. So now suddenly, instead of traveling for 15 minutes, I had to travel for more than an hour to sit in this dusty office. I remember there was this layer of chemicals on my a keyboard when I finished working. And first I was resisting, no, I don't want to move there. And in the end, I just said, okay, let's go. And I did this for a month and then I resigned. 
I had no idea what I wanted to do instead. So I resigned. Okay. At the same time, in that same year, I had been studying to become a yoga teacher. So I did my first 200-hour teacher training. The idea was not to quit my job or to become a yoga teacher, really. I just wanted to develop my own yoga practice. So this happened exactly at the same time. And one more thing happened. I had my first baby exactly at the same time. So about a week after I did my exam for teacher training and after we had moved to that warehouse office, my first baby was born. And I think in that flash instant, when she was born, I'd suddenly realized what was important and what was not. And I made the decision, I can't be traveling all over and being really stressed and stuck in traffic and not taking care of me and, of course, then also the other people around me. So I quit. Okay, but you didn't have a real plan yet. No. Because, I mean, the first time I saw you was one of these Secret Sunrise events at one of an, an old abandoned train station, and you were giving the yoga class in the morning before the whole Secret Sunrise event started. I mm -hmm. think that's where I saw you the first time. So you've sort of... From just quitting your job to seeing you around the yoga scene, you sort of built a name for yourself, for you and your company, Yoga Works. So how did that transition happen? So now you've quit your job and now people know Stephen Heyman. So how did they get to know you as one of the sort of yoga celebrities in Johannesburg? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. But I guess what happened is I was now without a job, but I was still a little bit in that sort of drive mode and needing to start projects and make money. And this hadn't gone away. So I thought, while I figure out what I'm really going to do, I'm going to teach a bit of yoga because now I have the certificate and it allows me to be quite flexible, manage my own time. So I did this and then I loved it actually. And first I thought I'm going to teach more corporate classes because that's where the environment I came from. I was more familiar with this. But more and more, I started to enjoy the events, like the outdoor yoga and going to an unusual location and just popping up, bringing my yoga mats, inviting some people there. And that actually took off. It became really successful. Sometimes I taught classes for 100 people, 200 people at a time. And I'm not sure what drew people to it. I guess I was just doing what I really wanted to do. But apparently, I wasn't the only one who liked this kind of activity. Basically, I wanted to take yoga out of out of studios, out of gyms, and offer it everywhere to even a lot of people who wouldn't do yoga otherwise, who would never step into a gym or a studio. That was the intention. I mean, you do all sorts of interesting locations. You do rooftops and parks and on, is it SUP boards? What do you, what do you call them? So, paddle boards, yeah, standard yeah. paddle boards. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you do all sorts of interesting things. I've been following your Facebook page and all the places where you, you do these interesting, and people just show up and they come and do it with you. Yes. It's amazing. And actually, the criterion for me is not what I would draw most people to the event. It's where would I have most fun myself? And it's often, I want to go there. And even if nobody else joins me, I would still be happy to go do yoga there by myself. You teach yoga and you also teach people to be yoga instructors. You've started doing that as well. Yes. What are some of the biggest transformations you've seen in people who start yoga or become teachers? And how did that make you feel? Actually, the biggest transformation I think of is, is not somebody who's studying to be a teacher, but it's a, a girl with Down syndrome who comes to all my yoga in the park classes every Sunday in Emerentia. And she used to come with her sister, and she used to be a bit timid, sort of all the way at the back. Whenever we did the balancing pose, the sister had to hold her hand, and she was always looking at the sister for, what should I do next, or am I doing it wrong? And then the sister moved to Durban, and the girl, her name is Sam, she stayed here in Johannesburg, 
And she kept coming to the yoga classes. I actually helped her find a ride to get here and to keep coming. And she just sort of blossomed open. It was all by herself. She found a way to do all these yoga poses. And she's getting more and more strong and confident and balanced. And I think this is really one of the students that I'm most uh, proud of. That's amazing. When I had a look at your sites, you do a number of yoga retreats. And a yoga retreat has always been something that's on my bucket list. I always wanted to do it at some point in time. But then again, I also do so many other things, like any adventure I'm up for. So I have to fit it in in between the, the motorcycling and the paragliding and everything else. But if you had to convince somebody to go on a yoga retreat, why should they go? I think you should just, first of all, give yourself a break. You're working hard enough and you're doing all the things to make money and to advance in life. But sometimes the advancement doesn't come from pushing harder. So first, sometimes you have to create the space for you to step back and get out of your own way. I think that's really one of the things I've learned. Our biggest sort of problem or, or enemy against our growth is ourselves. Nobody else stops us. So sometimes you have to make that decision to just book something, a course, a retreat, a getaway. And of course, on a yoga retreat, we have about four yoga classes. That's in just two days, a two-night retreat. And they range from just a little icebreaker, a little stretch where you meet different people, you try poses together, to we do more flow classes and more workshop style classes. Or, and then we go on a long day hike. In this case, the one I just did last weekend was yoga and hiking. So we spent the whole day walking up some tall mountain and then walking all the way back and drinking from streams and taking some yoga poses, pictures here and there. And you really come back a little bit different, even after just two days, because you've met this whole new group of people, you've challenged yourself, you've been outdoors, you swam in a waterfall, and you return a little bit different. What are you curious about right now? I'm actually mostly curious. This is quite a, a recent development, but mostly curious about the possibilities of my mind and to expand this. Because if you think about it, your body is limited. There's this space that you occupy here with the body, and we have our physical limits. There's only so, so far you can run, so much weight you can lift. So you're aware of these capabilities, and whatever you do, you can't expand much. But your mind, actually, the capabilities are limitless the capacity for storage or learning or insight or focus or resilience uh, can be developed for the rest of your life. So that's really one a new focus point in my home practice. So you run workshops on mindfulness for corporates and whoever is interested in doing them. So how do you think mindfulness is an agent for change? I think if you think about it, everything changes. We don't like this fact very often or we pretend it is not true we're trying whatever we can to keep things a little bit predictable and in a certain way that suits us but that's not really the reality of things so everything changes so we better become really good at changing ourselves or dealing with change if you're stuck in a place and the whole world keeps evolving as it does clearly then 
you'll be left behind or you'll be left behind, not you will survive, but there's a lot more out there than just merely surviving. The more people are able to deal with change, the more they're able to really be an agent to make decisions to keep growing into the future, to optimize the potential of their body, their minds, and then the short periods that we are here on this planet, you could say. How do your mindfulness workshops work? What sort of courses do you do and what does a typical day look like and what does it feel like to mm. do one of these? Uh, most courses are about an hour and a half to two hours in length in a workshop form. And the most popular one, we actually come back for seven weeks. Because if you do one session and you go back to your desk, let's say, or into you rush into the next meeting, then it has no real effect. But if you keep coming back at a certain time, you really have a chance to, well, install a new habit or at least get inspired to make some changes in your daily routine. So we focus on a subject which has to do with work performance. But of course, work is not separate from life. Let's say you improve your communication skills. You need this for a meeting and with your boss and with your customer, but you need it with your wife and your kids as well. Or if you, say, develop your focus, if you're focused in traffic, you're going to cause less accidents. So I don't think of it as separate from sort of work and the rest of your life. I think the two need to be integrated. And then we explore focus points or themes like focus, resilience, emotional intelligence, there's compassion, there's leadership, there's communication practices. Yes, it's already interesting. And they all revolve around mindfulness. It's just a look at mindfulness from a different angle that could be used for your daily life. So how do you know at the end of a workshop or a session that you've had with people that you've been successful? How do you know that your message is sort of sunk in? I usually know after a practice because I try not to talk too much. If people listen to me for an hour, they won't become more mindful, more focused, more resilient. They have to practice themselves. And I can only convey this because I practice these things in my own practice. And I have been very stressed before. So I know exactly what it feels like to have 400 emails waiting in your inbox every morning, for example. And I know that I've been successful because after, let's say, a breathing practice, we just take a few couple of breaths. I instruct the people to breathe. We can try it together if you want. And there's a silence afterwards. I don't have to say anything. I don't have to teach people to be mindful because they just take a deep breath and they tune into this capacity that is already there. We overrule it because of our busyness, of course. Now you rush there and you make more money and you get in your car. But just taking a deep breath, that's magic. Do you think there's a link in being flexible in your body, which results in being more flexible and adaptable to change? Absolutely. There's actually a famous yoga guru who says, body not stiff, mind stiff. That's exactly <laughs> what he said. And he means that if your mind is not flexible or adaptable, then it's going to deposit somewhere in your body. You hold some tension because of the stressful situations. Also, if you think about it, if you say your lower back hurts or you have shoulder tension, then how mindful, how focused, how emotionally intelligent are you going to be? It's all really dependent on establishing a good space in your body first. And then you can go out into the world and help people and work on the mental space, the inside. Yeah, so I know that I feel better when I'm getting lots of exercise and when I'm thinking about what I'm eating and when I'm getting rest and when I'm connecting with the people around me and doing some sort of purposeful work. So 
do your workshops sort of focus on just thinking about things like that? Yes, absolutely. Like I have one workshop that is called Mind Over Money. And we look at our relationship with money, which for a lot of people is a bit strained. Like you grew up, or I grew up at least thinking, okay, money is sort of on the other side of very hard work and a whole lot of luck maybe of things that come your way. But then we also look at purpose. Because a lot of us, to be honest, we have enough money. We're okay. We know what we're going to eat next week and we know that we will have a roof above our head so we are sorted our basic needs are more than fulfilled you could say but now what is the next step how do you grow from there and do more than just survive this is really the topic of some of these sessions what is your purpose are you helping somebody through the work or your activities that you do now you were talking about luck and one of the quotes that I pulled from your presentation that you give in your mind from this workshop was that not getting what you want might be an extraordinary stroke of luck. Yes, absolutely. Like how I told you the office moved to Boxburg, which at first sight is terrible. I had to sit in traffic, but maybe if this hadn't happened, I would still be there trying to make things work and be okay at my desk. How do you think that being more mindful at work can help employees to prevent burnout? can help because burnout is nothing more than a sustained period of stress. Stress, you could say, is a demand on your body. It might be physical stress. Say you always run five kilometers and now you sign up for a marathon. That's stressful. Or it might be mental stress. Suddenly your boss dumps double the amount on your desk or he wants it done in half the time, for example. So both are stressful. And we can deal with short periods of stress. But if it keeps at the same level, the same extra demand, then your body and your mind can no longer cope. So we need a mechanism to sort of build our resilience to return to healthier stress levels. And this is exactly what yoga and mindfulness is doing. It builds a capacity in your body to become stronger, more flexible, a bit more balanced and in your mind to also become stronger, more flexible, and more balanced. And maybe to recognize the signs. So you can recognize, oh, these things are triggering me in a specific way, which means, so you're mindful to the things that might potentially lead to stress and burnout in the future, and you can yeah. actually have like an early warning system. You're very right. Because actually yeah. for years I walked around with high stress levels, enormous tension in my body. The slightest thing would just set me off and I would start shouting or reacting in another very skillful way, let's say. And I was not aware that this was a problem. I just thought, this is how I am. I have this temper or this short fuse, you could say. But more and more, as you become more aware of what's happening in your body, your mind, you become aware of the earliest signs so like, this is not really seating. I need to just step outside and go for a walk in the park, for example. So taking that into consideration, what do you wish you'd known earlier? I wish I'd known that I don't have to do a lot of things to please other people. Or let's say society. You know, there's a lot of things that society expects. You have to drive a certain car and live in a certain area and raise your kids a certain way. And actually, all of this is not really what you have to do. You have to really tune into what is needed for you? How is your personal expression of your freedom? And I think, yeah, this is quite new. Lucky it's not too late, but the earlier you discover this, the better. So taking everything into consideration that you've learned and studied and experienced through your work and just through the life and this incredible transformation that you've gone through, how has this changed you personally inside? Inside is actually the right word. Because on the outside, yes, I can do a lot more yoga poses. I can do a handstand. Or, but all of this is actually irrelevant. It doesn't do anything. You could do a handstand 
and be a very stressed person or not a very nice person at the same time. But inside is really, that's where the main work is. And that's often the one thing that we often forget. So we do all the external things and build relationships and make money and do our jobs and take care of kids. But we don't take a little bit of me time, you could say, where you just sit quietly and you don't look at your phone and you don't talk to anybody and you just reflect. You can call it whatever you want. We could call it mindfulness or meditation, but some people might call it prayer or reflection or off time or a little moment of contemplation. I think this has really made the biggest difference. What are some of the books or websites or anything like that which have been really useful in your life? A recent book I've read is called Inner Engineering, and it's by Indian mystic and yogi called Satguru. And I really love his podcast, and he answers questions on the most diverse number of topics. So you can either listen to him or read the book or a combination. This has really been very insightful. So he explains the principles of yoga, but there's almost no physical part in it, just a little bit, which is just, he says, that's just the foundation. Now you're getting started, actually, once your body's a bit open. But then he explains the whole system and the possibilities of yoga. That's been really insightful. And maybe a second book is the Bhagavad Gita, which is an ancient Indian text which is still super relevant today to your job, your purpose, your behavior in life, and explains the principles like karma. I loved what you said in yoga class yesterday. And you said, we're going into Savasana now, but this is just the beginning of your yoga practice. Yes. It's not the end, this is the beginning. Yes. Because what we forget is you are life. You're not a body that can do certain things or a mind that can do certain things. Yes, so if you forget this, you step into the world and oh, just do survival things. But if you keep remembering the spark inside you and now you interact with all other living beings that have the same spark, now things get interesting. And that's what we practice in yoga. You lie still at the end after working hard and doing challenging uh, poses and sequences. And you are just at one, let's say, with your mind, with your body. There's nothing you have to change. I love that. Where can people find out more about you and your business? I have a website. It's yogaworks.ks.co.za. And then I post a lot of events and some articles on Facebook under yogaworks.sa, all in one word. And then I'm also on Instagram, Stephen Yogaworks, in one word. In preparing for this podcast, what message did you come up with? Something that you really want to share with people? Something that you want to leave them with? I think if we talk about change, and I thought about this a little bit, you can change and make tiny little incremental changes just to get a bit more comfortable, a little bit more flexible, a little bit more open, a bit more free. But actually what we should aim for is transformation. So you walk out and you've made such an amazing change inside you that you're not the same anymore. That is profound change. And this is really where things start really working. And of course, this is the work over many years. This is not something you can force in a single session. It's continuous development. So I would say don't go for little incremental changes where you feel a tiny bit better and you go right back to the previous. You have to aim big, aim for the next level. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's about perseverance. You know, just keep working at it. Just keep going. I mean, I don't think I'm ever going to do the splits, but I'll keep trying. <laughs> I'll keep <laughs> yes, going. Uh, well, splits is nothing more than one leg goes forward and one leg goes back. So I'm sure you're able to do that. <laughs> 
Stephen, thanks for joining us today. But before we go, I'd like to ask you to guide us through a short mindfulness exercise so we all can experience this change. So I'll invite you to do this with me. If you can just, wherever you're sitting, make sure you're comfortable and close your eyes. Just close your eyes. And then for a moment, just scan through your body and notice how everything is changing in your body. There's an itch here and a little bit of tension there. And maybe you're moving something or you feel the urge to move a part of your body. And then you can also feel the breath moving in and out. It's a process that continues when you no longer pay attention to it. But you can also notice this inhale right now. And this exhale right now. And then for a moment observe any sounds that arrive in your experience. Notice how all the sounds keep changing, they come and they go. And then lastly, bring your awareness to your thoughts. And that's probably the busiest part of all, these endless thoughts passing through your mind. Some stay a little bit longer, some just pop up and go away. And you can become aware of this stream, almost like you're sitting by a river. And the river flows by with all these thoughts and ideas and plans. And then take a few deeper breaths. And when you're ready, open your eyes. Thank you very much. This is Pietro Dupasani, and you've been listening to Unchange. For previous episodes and show notes, go to solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash unchange. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, CastBox, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, namaste.